Hello, hello. Is that good? Can you hear me? Can, can I just say, uh, what, what's the gentleman? Is it Abdul? I just want to speak on you for one second. Can you imagine going to Syria and standing up in front of new faces that you've never met before and speaking Syrian and doing a presentation in, in, in that language? It's just it's unbelievable that you got up here, Abdul, and, and did the most powerful speech in, in English. So I just want to give you... I don't think you got the round of applause you deserved because I was sat there thinking, imagine going to Syria, me speaking, learning Syrian and doing that presentation in Syria. My hat goes off to you, my friend. Uh, my name is Rob Laurie, and you might... I don't go around boasting that I smuggled a child into the country, but that's exactly what I did five years ago. I it called in the media a crime of compassion. You might have heard of it. Uh, I don't know. What I want to do before I start talking is show you a video that I put together about five years ago that is still relevant today. What's powerful about this video is that these are all my photographs. They're not library photographs. I took every one of these photographs and then I got permission from Coplay to, to the tune towards the, uh, for the video. So uh, it's about four and a half minutes long uh, and it gives you a real insight into the work I do and then I'll come back and waffle on for a bit more and hopefully I won't bore you. When you try your best but you don't succeed When you get what you want but not what you need When you feel so tired but you can't sleep Stuck in And the tears come streaming down your face When you lose something you can't replace When you love someone but it goes to waste Could it be
Am I on? Am I on? Am I on? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I used to be a thief. That's right, you heard me, I used to be a thief. And I can see some of you now just pulling your coats a little bit closer and checking your pockets. I haven't been round. I want to put that into some context. I was born uh, in a beautiful, sleepy little market town called Richmond in North Yorkshire. If you've ever been there, you'll know what I mean. It's a beautiful town. And I was born to a family of seven. And when I say we were poor, we were bread and butter poor. Uh, and the butter came out on special occasions. We used, my mother used to make this thing called soy meat stew. And it tasted awful. And I often wondered what soy meat stew was. Uh, but it soon became, I soon realized what soy meat stew was. Wherever we had that treat of that stew, our little dog went hungry. Now, I'm not saying my mother used to feed us the dog food, but it was just too coincidental every time we had it. I uh, eventually, uh, I stayed with my family for some time, then I went into a daycare in a, in, in a, in a children's home, and I grew up, and I had a, a lot of experiences. Uh, I finished uh, at the age of, I finished school early at the age of 14. At 15 and a half, I joined the army. About 16, I joined the army. Spent a long, long time in the British army. Uh, and then I always knew one thing. I left school, and on my qualifications list, it said DNA. Now, that's not some fancy qualification. It stood for did not attend. Because I took nothing at school. So in my time in the army, I always realized I needed an education. So I left the army after many years, and I sneaked in illegally onto a, de a degree course at Bradford University. Now, do not ask me how you get on illegally to a degree course, but I wangle my way on there. I failed my first three essays, and I thought, I'm out of my depth here. I actually finished four years later with a master's in, uh, and, and got, you know, got a 2-1, so I did really well. So I'm now equipped with my disciplined army background and my brand new education, and I'm going to go out and make a million dollars. In 2017, I made it onto the Sunday Times Rich List. Number seven on the Sunday Times Rich List. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I set up a business exporting frozen food into Europe, and that business gave me a lot of money, a lot of money. And I was, I was happy. Or at least I thought I was happy. My bank balance was up there, but my true happiness was down there. And I knew this. I knew this. But I didn't see a way out of it. I didn't see a way out of earning money is a good thing, and I loved it. And then God stepped into my life and gave me meningitis. Not the viral meningitis, the bacterial meningitis that kills nine out of ten people. After a long time in hospital, a long time in hospital, I slowly rebuilt my life. But this is what happens in life. This is evidence that sometimes in life you can be riding high on a tidal wave of success. Three years later, be homeless, living in the swimming pool changing rooms of an, living in the changing rooms of an abandoned open hair swimming pool. That's where I was. Now, I'm not telling you all this for you to say, oh, poor Rob, don't say that. 
I'm giving you this for a backstory of how my life changed because it's in that swimming pool that I learned more about life than the army, my youth, my education. After about four years of wandering around, not doing much, I managed to save enough uh, for a, uh, a bed seat. I wasn't homeless for four years, but after six months, I managed to save enough money for a bed seat. Uh, and then I stayed there for a few years. I met a, a, lady, I met a nice girl, uh, and we had a daughter. It was great. Life was good. Uh, unfortunately, my uh, marriage didn't uh, work out, so I'm single. Just, just saying that, just putting that out there, okay? Uh, but I do live with my daughter, and in 2015, uh, we went on holiday. I managed to afford a holiday, uh, and we went to Lanzarote, and I'm laid on the sunbed by the pool. My daughter is happily playing, and I want to go get another ice cream. Life is good. I've been to the, through the doldrums. I've had it really bad. <laughs> or at least then I thought I'd had it really bad. And then I went to the ice cream, and on the television behind the screen, on September the 3rd, 2015, I can even remember the time. It was about one o'clock, September the 3rd, 2015. My life changed forever. It's when we all saw that photograph. You know the one. The one that shook the world. <laughs> the one that shook me to my core. The one that made me realize that I'd never had it bad. That photograph. Now the whole world saw that photograph. <laughs> I've never got this through this presentation without breaking down, so bear with me. And what they see is a photograph. That's what they see, a photograph. What I saw was something completely different. Look at his fingers. Look at his skin. Look at his ears. He's starting to feel a bit more uncomfortable now. Look at his hair. Look at his eyes. This is Alan Curdy. There's a thousands, there's thousands of Alan Curdies washed up on beaches. What I'm trying to say is, I humanized the photograph. And that's what we don't do in society in the West. We see a photograph and we talk about it at work. And we say, oh, that's so sad. What can I do? After, after Tesco tonight, I need to go to Tesco to get me milk. Oh, it's so sad. Coronation Street at half past seven. Have you seen that photograph? It's so sad. Did you see what happened on EastEnders last night? Look at his eyes. Look at his fingers. Look at his hair. Look at his ears. Now close your eyes. Please, just close your eyes. And I want you to roll Alan Curdy's life back 10 minutes. It's dark. It's pitch black. The sea is very, very cold. He's in a dinghy, trying to get from freedom, escaping war. He's lost the birth lottery. That's all he's done. He's lost the birth lottery. 
He doesn't know what's happening. And the next minute, he's in the sea, upside down, getting tossed around. We're humanizing Aaron Curdy's last four minutes of conscious life. He's looking for his mum and dad. He doesn't know what's going on. What's happening, mum, dad? What's happening? And then his life's gone. Makes my youthful story sound like I won the lottery. For everyone in this room, or most people in this room, including myself, we did win the birth lottery. And that's when my life changed forever. For the last five years, I've been working in refugee camps with child refugees, trying to bring dry clothing, shoes, dry clothes, uh, and food, and, and to put food in their stomachs. How do I do this? Well, in 2015, on the 26th of October, I did something that you may have heard in the news. I found a lone child, and that lone child, I did a lot of research and found out that child, that four-year-old girl, had a family in this country. So in my infinite wisdom, I smuggled her from France into the UK. <laughs> I was caught. And, uh, but after seeing that photograph, I thought to myself, I... Not one child that I come across is going to die. Not on my watch. And this is what you, everybody should be thinking. This should not be happening on our watch. I went back to uh, France. I got, I, got, I got sent back to France and I did a little time in prison. But hey-ho, that little girl is in this country now. She's in school. She's doing really well. She's good news. Good news. But how many children aren't? How many children are falling out of boats in the Mediterranean and ended up on beaches like Alan Curdy. And what do we do? We look at the photographs in the media and we feel sorry and we feel sad. And we try to imagine, but we can't. And then we go to Tesco or Asda and buy the chicken for the Sunday dinner. And that's okay. I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm saying is try to humanize these situations. We hear about 39 people who have died through suffocation in the back of a wagon. And we have this image, 39. We don't even imagine 39 people. What do you imagine? The only, you only see the wagon. You see the red wagon in the trailer. Try to humanize what those people were going through in the back of that trailer. Try to humanize what people are going through and children are going through on boats when they are actually escaping war. They're not coming here because they like England or Britain or Germany or Denmark or Europe. They're coming here, as Abdul will tell you, because they are escaping bombs landing in their gardens. Try to humanize this. I was a thief when I was younger. I was a thief of life. I've never stolen a tangible thing in my life. But I realized in 2015, <laughs> I'd been a thief of life. And I put it to you people here. Every single person in this room 
and everyone we've come across, at some point in your life, you have been a thief of life. At one o'clock on September the 15th, sorry, at one o'clock on September the 3rd, 2015, I realized I had to stop being a thief of life and start being a giver to life. On September the 14th, I had a good bank balance. But I had no empathy. I had no compassion. I was a thief of life. On September the 15th, I had an empty bank balance because I know where that money was going. But my levels of happiness have gone through the roof. Now I visit camps all over Europe and I shout like Bob Geldof on, on social media, give me your money, give me your money. And I show them, I take that money to the shop. I have contracts with sports shops all over France, in particular Intersport, whereby I go in and get massive discount. And this week alone, this week alone, I've just driven back from France last night from the Dunkirk and Calais camps. This week alone, I've put, I say I, I don't mean I, people have sent me money, which has allowed me to put food and shoes on over 100 people in the last four days. That's the power of this action. And this is what this photograph drove me to do. Now, this is not about me, because without the support of people, I could do nothing, because I am not rich enough financially to do this. People send me a lot of money. And with that money, we make the lives of children and refugees a little bit easier. We can't save the world. That's the first mistake I made. I tried to save the world. But if you can change the life of one person for the better, then your life on this planet has worked out well. In the video I showed you earlier, there was one slide that I put in. It says, we can't help everyone, but everyone can help someone. How true is that? How true is that? I actually thought, in my naivety, I coined that expression. But do you know who ironically did coin that expression? Does anybody know who came up with that expression? Ronald Reagan. Don't ask me. But it's true. We simply cannot help everyone. But everybody in this room, right here, right now, can help at least one person. And if you can help one person, you can help two, person, two people. And you will never become as rich financially as you can in your humanity when you help other people and improve their lives. I made it onto the Sunday Times Rich List in 2017. It was the alternative such, uh, rich list that the Sunday Times produced. And it's called the people, it's for people who are rich in humanity. I always knew I'd make it onto the Sunday Times Rich List. I just got the, I thought I'd got the wrong one. I actually got the right one. I would much rather be on the Sunday Times rich list for people rich in humanity than to have a few billion pounds in my bank making interest doing nothing. What do you see when you see the photograph? Do you see a red t-shirt and a photograph in a newspaper and then move on with your life? Have a look at his eyes his fingers, his hair. That little boy, three days before this, was playing in the playground. Maybe not in his school, playing in his backyard. 
And you know what's really sad? It's still happening today. It's still happening today. My name is Rob Laurie. If you can follow me on social media and support what I do, please do. Thank you for listening.